0: Welcome to Refuge Church Podcast. My name is Nicole, and I'm one of the pastors here at Refuge. And this week, we continue our journey through the book of Nehemiah. In this week's sermon, Brian takes us on a journey through Nehemiah's story from start to finish, highlighting the many prayers Nehemiah prayed while working to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Through trials, attacks, and challenges, Nehemiah's prayers were a constant source of strength. Brian also shares how Nehemiah's prayers became his prayers which ultimately led to a profound change in his own life. At the end of this message, Brian walks the entire church through a few moments of corporate prayer. As you listen to this message, prepare your hearts and your minds to encounter God through a time of guided prayer. So I invite you, stay tuned as we explore Nehemiah's story through the lens of prayer in Nehemiah part three but we prayed.
1: My name is Brian Colbertson. I am one of the pastors here at Refuge. The year was 2005. That year, my favorite TV show, Survivor, had just finished filming season number three. Anybody know where season three was? Africa. They actually were out in the Maasai Mara Reserve. And I remember watching that, going, I want to be there. That was like my favorite season. Even looking back, it's like my favorite season. And I wanted to go bad. Now, I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I was attending a local church for about a year. And it just so happened that this church was planning a mission trip to guess where? Nairobi, Kenya. And they were going to end that trip with a visit to the Maasai Mara Preserve. And so I'm like, man, this down my alley, but I don't know about all this Jesus stuff. They're like, hey, don't worry about it. It's not one of those, hey, do you know Jesus kind of mission trips. We're going to go build an orphanage for AIDS victims and their children from the pandemic. It's called Africa Hope, if you've heard of it before. I'm like, man, that sounds pretty cool. But I was still, I'm honest with the coordinators. I'm like, I'm not a Christian. They said, it's not a problem. We do have a few rules you're going to have to follow. You know, you got to quit all the cussing and everything that you do, but, but you're welcome to be a part of this adventure. So I'm like, sweet. I'm in. Now, if you know me, when I do something, I generally go all in. I don't halfway do a lot of anything. And so, if I'm going to go on a Christian mission trip, I'm going to try to figure out all this Christian stuff. And so, um, back then, anybody remember the iPod Nano? It was like there's no iPhones. I had one of those. You could put like three songs on it. I don't know. You could put a few songs on it. So I downloaded a bunch of Christian music. And I'm like, this isn't too bad. It sounds like you two in the '80s, but it's it's okay. We'll we'll get with this. I went to Barnes and Noble. I'm like, I'm going to learn about these Christians. So I went to the Christian book aisle, and I bought the two most popular books at the time. Uh, 2005, it was The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. I read it. I'm like, eh, it just sounds like good life advice. I can get down with this. The other book was Your Best Life Now, written by Joel Osteen. Total trash. I could not get down with that, even as a non-Christian. I was a smoker at the time, and I'm not talking pulled pork, the other kind of smoking. And so I got a patch because I didn't want to offend anybody with my smoking. Karen went to the store and she bought me my very first non-King James Version Bible, the NIV. And I'm like, you can actually understand some of this stuff in this thing. And so um, they had told us before this trip that every day they would start the morning with a time of meditation and reflection on the Word of God. Didn't know what that meant exactly, but I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm in. And so we got on our flight from Miami. We went to London. We get to Kenya. It's an all-day ordeal. The next morning, they're like, we still got to do devotion. So they woke up early that next morning. It was time. And the leader stood in the front. He just kind of explained how these devotions would go. They said, for the next two weeks, um, we're going to be reading and discussing the book of Nehemiah. I thought I had heard of that before. He said, find a peaceful spot. Just go read chapter 1. And then we're going to come back and we'll discuss it as a group. So my first time cracking a Bible open in a decade was in the book of Nehemiah. Now, obviously, as I read this book, I realized they had chosen Nehemiah specifically for the trip because of the kind of work we were going to do. It was construction. It was literally rebuilding walls on this mission, Africa Hope Center. And so, of course, though, at the end of the time, um, we would come together and we'd begin talking about this. But also, as I read through this book of Nehemiah, I kind of picked up on another theme throughout the book, and that is the theme of prayer, both individual and communal prayer. And so we would get together on this reflection time, and at the end of the reflection time, we were supposed to pray. We would take a moment of silence to pray individually, and then somebody would stand up front, they volunteered, and they would us out corporately. Now, it had been a long time since I had prayed, But I'm an all-in kind of guy. I'm like, I'm here. I'm doing this mission trip thing. I'm with these Christians. And so I silently prayed along. I spoke to God. It was a two-week trip. We repeated that process every single day. We would get up early, go find a peaceful spot, and read a chapter of this book, Nehemiah. My favorite spot, I got a picture of it here. These hippos, if you see. Literally, I took that. You're not on my phone. You had to have a real camera to take this picture. Took a picture. I'm doing my little morning devotions, reading Nehemiah, and these hippos just start popping up in the river. It's an amazing, peaceful experience. So I had my peaceful time. Then we go back to the room to begin discussing the things that we learned. If you can see, I look really thrilled uh, to be there in that picture, but it was cool. I'd hear other people talk about what they learned. I didn't get much from it, but talk about what they learned, and then we would take some time, and we would just pray silently and corporately. I have to tell you, it's amazing at what God can do when you get away from the noise, you calm your mind, you read the Word, you discuss it with other believers, and then you pray. One day, they changed up the order of our morning devotional routine. That was on Sunday, because that day, instead of doing our devotions, we were going to head out into the bush, into the Maasai Mara Preserve, and we were going to attend a church service with the people we were there to serve. And it had a profound impact on me, being in that church and watching them worship and the lives that they led. And so instead of our morning devotional time, they moved our time together to the evening. And they added some songs like we just did. And we sang some songs. We took this meal called communion. There was still teaching. There was still discussion. And at the end of that service... We prayed, but he said, this time, I want you to pray a specific prayer. I want you to pray of letting go of the stuff in our lives that didn't honor God. And I prayed that prayer, and that's where I let go of my unbelief. And so again, I say it's amazing at what God can do when we get away from the noise, we calm our minds, we read the word, we discuss it, and we pray. And so I'm excited to see what happens in this time tonight as we do those things. Now, I've read Nehemiah since then a handful of times, but as Nicole mentioned, I never preached it. I've never taught this book. I'd heard it preached a handful of times, but it always seemed to have an agenda associated with it. Our church needs to build a new discipleship wing, whatever the heck that means. Or they would use it to manipulate people to give money, very prosperity gospel driven. But I've spent the last three weeks reading this book. i listened to Nicole preach the last two weeks out of And just like it did the very first time, this book yet again has had a transformative power on my life. It's motivated me as a leader. It's reminded me of my special positions as a parent, as a boss, as a child of God. It's reignited my passion for this church and my service to it. And most of all, I've seen that uniting thread that ties it all together, that incredible power of prayer. And so we're going to get into this story, and we're going to look at all the prayers in the book of Nehemiah. But before we get there, if you're new to church, or maybe if you've forgotten, I just want to do a quick historical catch-up to where we are in the Bible. The Old Testament is one long story of human brokenness. That's what the Old Testament is. Inability to get along, we go to war, we fall short of even our own ideas of goodness, let alone God's perfect design of goodness, the Old Testament is also a story that leads us to God's plan to fix all of that. And so God chooses a group of people from whom Jesus, the Savior, will come. And the descendants of these special people find themselves enslaved in Egypt. But if you read that story, it says, But they prayed. They prayed for deliverance, and God hears their prayers. He sends a man named Lod- Moses, Lotus? Moses. Lotus would have been good too. Right place at the right time. And Moses, as you know, leads them out of bondage. There's miracles. There's parting of the Red Sea. And so they leave Egypt and they embark on this long journey of wandering around through the wilderness. And they're in the wilderness. They're hungry and they're frustrated and they're lost. But again, they prayed. God answers their prayer. He provides manna, sustenance. He provides the law for guidance. But they do wander around for 40 years. But at just the right time, God raises up Yet another leader, his name is Joshua, who reminds the people, you need to be praying. And they begin to win their battles. Finally, they make their way into the promised land. And there, these people would face opposition. But then they would pray, and God would deliver them. Then they would forget about prayer, and then they'd become disobedient. And then things would go badly, and someone would remind them, we ought to be praying. Then they receive deliverance, and the recycle would repeat over and over And eventually, they begin to pray, though, for unity. And God delivers them a united kingdom, united under King David and Solomon. And if you know, this is the heyday of Jewish peace and prosperity. The borders of the kingdom are expanded. Jerusalem is established as a capital city. And the temple, God's dwelling place, is built. But remember the theme of the Old Testament, humanity Despite our divine potential, has a boundless capacity to screw things up. And so again, things begin to fall apart. The kingdom becomes divided. There's now a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And this internal division within the kingdom ultimately results in the fall of both kingdoms. And so now God's people are once again exiled from their promised land. Jerusalem, their city, is destroyed. Their temple is destroyed. In a history full of dark periods for the Jewish people, this is now the darkest. But they prayed. They prayed for forgiveness. They prayed for repentance. They prayed for guidance. You can read those prayers if you go to the Psalms and Lamentations. And as they pray, a new era begins. The exiles are allowed to return home to Jerusalem. God again raises up another leader, Ezra. He's a priest and a scribe. And he is a beacon for prayer. Ezra inspires the Jewish people to labor diligently to rebuild the temple. God's dwelling place and their spiritual home. And that's called the second temple. Which now brings us to our guy, Nehemiah. Who finds himself in this time, not in Jerusalem with his people. But in a city called Susa in Persia. And there he is working as a royal wine taster. And some of you right now are like, how do I get that job? Right? You get to sample the merlots, the cabs, the zins, you rate them, put them at Costco or whatever. <laughs> but with great power comes great responsibility. If someone poisoned the wine, you're dead and the king would be saved. That's what the cupbearer did. And so we're just going to go through this book kind of not chapter by chapter or verse by verse, but we're going to jump around a little bit. And so, you know, Nehemiah is just his memoirs. This is the guy's memoirs telling you what he did and how he did it. And so let's begin chapter one, verse two. It says, Hanani, I guess that's how you say it. One of my brothers came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Verse three, it says, they said to me, And things are not going well. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, Nicole has done a good job the last couple of weeks illustrating the importance of this wall. But just to remind you, they talk about trouble and disgrace. The trouble is the walls provided security. It was protection from people coming in from the outside. But then there's the disgrace component. It's symbolism. A city with a crumbling wall did not reflect upon their God or their people. And so this became a source of national embarrassment. And so Nehemiah says, When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And the verses that follows is this beautiful prayer, verses 5 through 11. Nehemiah praises God for who he is. And he praises God for what he's done. And he confesses his sins and the sins of his people. And then he ends that prayer in verse 11. He says, oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And so that's the first of 10 prayers that we're going to look at tonight in this book of Nehemiah. And what we learn from that first prayer is prayer is a first response in times of distress. That's a pretty easy time to remember to pray, right? When things are not going so well. The old thing, there are no atheists in foxholes. In times of distress, prayer seems to come naturally. So when Nehemiah hears about the devastation in Jerusalem, his immediate reaction is to pray. He doesn't minimize the problem. He doesn't run into action. He prays. He goes straight to God with a deep, heartfelt prayer. And pleas for God's help. Jump forward to the next prayer, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, early the following spring, some time has passed, I was serving the king his wine, doing my job. I'd never before appeared sad in his presence. And so the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. (laughs) And so Nehemiah has been walking around apparently for a while with a resting sad face. And the king is like, Nemo? Because that's what he called him. He says, Nemo, what's up? And Nemo in verse 3 says, how can I not be sad? My city is in ruins. The king says, I don't really like a sad-faced wine taster. That's really bumming me out. How can I help you? Nehemiah thinks to himself, he says, hmm, is this a trick? Because if I don't say the right thing here to the king, again, I end up dead. That was always a very real potential. And so what does Nehemiah do? talking about prayer here. So he prays. He says in verse 2, with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. What did he pray? We don't know. I'm thinking it's pretty short. Does it on the fly, very quickly. God help me, and then he just goes for it. And so my second point on this second prayer tonight is speed prayers are still prayers. Prayers don't have to be long. They don't have to be drawn out. They don't have to be this big thing. A quick, God, man, I could use some help right about now, is every bit as much of a prayer heard by our God and reflects our faith as anything else. Let's keep moving. The king grants Nehemiah's request, and he makes his way to Jerusalem. And so now he's back with his people in his home city. Verse 13, it says, After dark, I went through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over the dung gate, they need some help with these names, to inspect the broken walls and burned gates. And so, Nehemiah assesses the situation. There are broken walls, there are burned gates, the city is a mess, but he is a great leader, and he is a gifted communicator, and so he's able to rally the troops, and they begin rebuilding the walls. And as if on cue, as they begin to rebuild, the attacks begin. Chapter 2, verse 19, it says, But when Silly Ba, Tapioca, and Gumby heard of our plan, (laughs) I don't even try to pronounce these names, they mocked and ridiculed us. And so the attacks have begun. I dare you to try something truly great and not be at the butt end of some ridicule and mocking. In fact, verbal attacks are generally a sign that you are moving in the right direction. Nehemiah and his partners, they keep their heads down. They keep on working with the ministry that God has given them. And the story goes, they rebuilt the sheep gate and the fish gate and the old city gate. Again, they need help with these names. The families pitch in by section. One family pours a footer and another puts up the tie beams. Another comes in and puts on the finishing touches. And so they're rebuilding the wall. And by the time we get to chapter four, though, these enemies are moving from mocking And they're starting to get a little more aggressive because they are seeing too much success by these misfits. And so they say in chapter 4, verse 2, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day? Do they actually think they can make something from a rubbish heap? That stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. What's that feel like? To be doing the best you can with what you have on mission for God. To only be ridiculed and attacked. What do you do? What did Nehemiah do? Well, we know. Verse 4, it says, Then I prayed. Hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Third prayer is a prayer for justice. Now, Nehemiah's views on justice might be a little bit skewed, at least for those of us on this side of Jesus where we're supposed to love our enemies. But he never takes out those actions himself upon his enemies. Instead, he hands the justice over to God in prayer. And so when you feel hurt, when you feel attacked, when you feel mocked, when you feel belittled, don't implement street justice, just take it to God. God, I want you to punch that person in the throat. Yet not my will, but your will be done. (laughs) The story continues. Half the wall is now rebuilt. It's something to celebrate. It's not done, but they are making progress. But here come the enemies back. This time, though, it's more than words. Verse 8, it says, They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion, but we prayed to our God, and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. And so point number four is prayer doesn't cancel out action. It's a complement to action. Prayer and action are not mutually exclusive. Prayer connects us to the will and to the power of God, but it does not absolve us from our own responsibility to take action for the very thing that we are praying for. So chapter 5. The attacks from without have been coming in, but now the attacks are going to come from the inside. they are be going to have conflict over food or conflict over who has the wealth or I was here first, so I deserve that. They don't deserve it. Chapter 5, verse 6, Nehemiah says, when I heard their complaints, I was very angry. And so then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. When people are in conflict with each other, what is the best thing to do? I will tell you, it is to get them into the same room. To stop the cycle of miscommunication and gossip and narrative writing and hopefully bring them together and find a common ground. Nehemiah is a good leader. But he's been dealing with all of these problems. The internal problems. The external problems. And it's starting to take a toll. Furthermore, Nehemiah tells us, by the way, I'm doing all this work here in Jerusalem pro bono. I'm not getting paid for this. I don't take any land. I don't take any payment of any. In fact, just the opposite. I've been using my own money to help pay for this project and to feed the poor and to cover the costs and to pay the leaders. And I've been doing that, God, because I love you and I love your people. But it's taking a toll. And so what does he do? All together now, he prays. It says, remember, O God, all that I have done for these people, and bless me for it. And that one has been twisted and bent by those prosperity, Joel Osteen kind of guys, but it's a prayer, a blessing. And it may seem presumptuous and self-centered, but it's entirely appropriate to pray to God to bless my life. God is a father. We are his children. Parents love blessing their children. And so if we pray for a blessing with the right intent, that can be a humble expression of our trust in God and his promises. God, I took a risk this month. I'm not ready to give 10% to my church, but I took a first step. God, I trust your promise to bless those who are generous. So God bless me. God, talking to that person is so outside my comfort zone. But I went even further, God. I invited them to dinner. So God, please bless me and our time together tonight. God, I know what I'm about to eat is high in cholesterol and loaded in trans fat. But God, please bless this food to strengthen and nourish my body. (laughs) Chapter 6, the attacks keep coming. Says in verse 9, they were trying to intimidate us. Imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination, but I prayed. Oh God, strengthen my hands. Number six, we pray for strength. It's interesting. Nehemiah doesn't ask for these threats to be removed. He asks for strength to face the threats. And that's a profound shift in perspective. Rather than praying for our problems to go away... We pray for the physical, emotional, and spiritual strength to navigate the problem. Nehemiah continues to be a target, outside, inside, but he recognizes the traps for what they are, and that brings us to our next prayer, verse 14. He says, remember, O God, all the evil things that Gumby and Silly Ball have done, and remember Noah Diarrhea, the prophet, and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate us. Next point is prayer is a sacred pause. And so follow me here on this one. It's going to take me a little bit to get to it. But asking God to remember those people who have tried to hurt us, Nehemiah is also remembering how God provided him the strength to overcome those attacks. And so we stop, we pause, we pray, and we reflect back on the hard stuff we've gone through. And that can be a sacred pause a time in which God can speak to us and give us clarity over those situations. That's why I always say silence and listening is just as important in your prayer time as the words that you actually speak. Now the wall is complete. Took 52 days, which I think is, I don't know what this wall looked like, but that's super impressive. I don't do much anything in 52 days. There's been enemies and naysayers and internal problems and leadership questions, but by the grace of God, they have fulfilled this mission of rebuilding the city walls. And so now there's some sense of normalcy. The families start to return, they start to rebuild life in the city. They start hiring all kinds of people. If you read it, they're singers and gatekeepers and Levites and census workers. Unemployment's all time low. They have a big worship service. It's led by a great band called Better Than Ezra. Like two of you from the 90s got that one. Nobody else did. (laughs) See? Thanks, Mary. (laughs) Chapter 9, verse 5, it says, Then the leaders of the Levites called out to the people, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, for he lives from everlasting to everlasting. Then they prayed. Plural praying is an act of corporate worship prayers shouldn't always be a solo event sometimes we need to unite with other believers and raise up our voices together in prayer it fosters unity it strengthens our bonds with each other it aligns our shared beliefs and most importantly when we gather together in prayer we are collectively expressing our devotion and reverence for god All right, we're in the home stretch. Three more prayers. Chapter 13. Fast forward. Nehemiah still has his day job. Like all while all this is happening, he's still the king's cupbearer. And so he's been straddling life, kind of running back and forth, part-time in Jerusalem, part-time in his day job ministry or work for the king. And since he's unable to be in Jerusalem full-time, he appoints leaders. And after he appoints these leaders, he prays. In verse 14, he says, Remember this good deed, O my God, and do not tell or do not forget all that I have faithfully done for the temple of my God and its services. And again, this is another sacred prayer or pause for blessing. Problems arise as we go through this chapter, and now he begins to work with the leaders on solutions to the problem. As they come up with them, verse 22, he says, Remember this good deed also, O my God. Have compassion on me according to your great and unfailing love. And as we continue through this chapter... Nehemiah actually has to kick some people out of the city for breaking some of the city rules and so it says in verse 25 I love it so I confronted them and I called down curses on them and I beat some of them and I pulled out their hair and I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children marry with the pagan people of the land Nehemiah is not perfect but he prays verse 29 says remember them Oh my God, for they have defiled the priesthood and the solemn vows of the priests and Levites. So he ties it back. And then fittingly, the book of Nehemiah ends in verse 30 with one last prayer. Remember this in my favor. Oh my God. And so prayers 9 and 10 and 13 and 20. There's a lot of them in this book. The point I want to make with those is just the number of prayers. Bible says we're supposed to pray without ceasing How many times, I'll ask you if you've read the story, did Nehemiah pray before a meal in this story? Zilch. How many times did he lay in bed on his pillow, look up to God, pray for a while, and fall asleep in the middle of the prayer? Zero. Meals, bedtime, church. We associate these things with a designated time of prayer. And while those moments, I don't want to discount those, they can be valuable Nehemiah's conversations with God transcended routine and became essential to his life as air and water for survival. It's amazing at what God can do when we get away from the noise, we calm our minds, we read our word, his word, we discuss it, and then we pray. So we've covered most of those. I want to close tonight, though, with a time of worship. I'm not going to invite the band up like I normally do because we're going to worship tonight like the people in Jerusalem by lifting up our prayers to God together as a church. So get comfortable where you're at. You can sit in the chair. You can kneel in the chair if you like. I just ask you to close your eyes, and I'm going to lead us through a time of prayer together as a church. In this story, Nehemiah confessed both his sins and the sins of his people. And so take a moment now to confess before God. You can do this silently or quietly under your breath. I'll give you a minute. I want you to just think about a current challenge that you're facing. And in this moment, bring this challenge to God as Nehemiah did when he first heard about the distress in Jerusalem. You to think of maybe a situation that cries out for justice, whether that's something in the world as a whole, something that you've seen in your life this past week, or maybe you've been hurt and you want justice in that situation. And so hold it in prayer and entrust it to God's righteous judgment as you hand it over to him in this moment. think of an action you've been considering and you don't know the right thing to do just in this time ask God for wisdom to act wisely and faithfully I want you to think of something good you've done this past week. Maybe it's some ministry work. Maybe it was not making that post you wanted to make on Facebook. I don't know. Something good you've done this past week. And just lay that before God and say, God, I did something good. I pray for you to bless me. Think of an area of your life where you need strength. Just pray to God to ask him to renew your resolve. Lastly, just pause. Open your heart to hear God's voice. So just use this final minute to remember and reflect as you create that sacred pause. our routine not just something we do before a meal not something we do just before we fall asleep but that our entire life be soaked with prayer lord as we leave this place tonight help us internalize these lessons that we found in nehemiah's prayers may our first response to spread the stress be prayer may we trust your justice May you guide our actions, pour out your blessings, give us strength, and may we find time for those sacred pauses amidst our busy lives. God, we thank you for this precious gift given only to us by your Son, who is the ultimate example of prayer and action. And so it's in his name we pray tonight. All God's people said...
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet every Saturday night at 530 at 1901 Brantley Road, Fort Myers. You can catch all of our live stream on Facebook or YouTube at Refuge Church Fort Myers. And we're also on Instagram at refuge.church. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.